don't know about you, but the coronavirus has me doing things I never thought I'd do. The first thing I've done that I never thought I'd do is virtual worship. And here we are. We're in the third installment of virtual worship for our church. The second thing I never thought I'd do is I never thought I'd buy a pet. For 15 years in our marriage, I've been telling Jenna that we would never, ever have a pet. Then last Sunday, I caved. Last Sunday, I caved in, and we bought a cat. The third thing that I said that I'd, I'd never do is I thought I never would say that choosing isolation would be the most loving thing that you could do for your neighbor. But that's what's true. From what we know about COVID-19 at this point is that it's highly contagious and that you can have the virus without showing any symptoms. And that's why it's wise that we all stay home as much as possible. But it's hard to stay home. It's hard to stay home if you're a seven on the Enneagram. It's hard to stay home when you're a wild extrovert. It's hard to stay home if you're fairly young and you don't have any underlying health issues. But that's where we find ourselves. Loving our neighbor means staying away from them. I can't believe I just said that. The text I've chosen for today is particularly relevant. Read it with me on the screen. Proverbs 18.1 Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. There you have it. The word isolate. The word isolate in the Old Testament can be translated in several different ways. It can be translated as spread, deserted, broken, ineffectual, separate, and divide. So you put all those together and you really have that the basic thought is that humanity really is this interdependent whole. And so whenever you leave that interdependent whole, that you're choosing isolation, you're breaking apart from the whole, you're becoming ineffectual, you're becoming divided. And then I think what's interesting about that first phrase is that it says that the isolated person is the one who chooses this posture. In other words, isolation is not the result of being left out as much as it is the choice of the lonely person. Therefore, the lonely person has the power to cure their loneliness by reaching out for human connection. But then there's the second phrase. The second phrase essentially is saying being alone is a bad idea. And that word break out, break out can also be used for breaking out of prison or breaking out of one's clothes. So when you self-isolate, you're escaping the good prison of sound judgment. You're escaping the clothes of sound judgment, and now you're left exposed. And being isolated is a very unnatural state for a human being. See, the scriptures teach that we as human beings are made in God's image. We are like God. And we're like God in the fact that we're relational because God is relational within himself. He is a community within himself. Three persons, one God. So we're relational creatures. We are hardwired for connection with God and with each other. So when we're isolated, things begin to get out of control. We begin to form emotional bonds with things that we're not supposed to form strong emotional bonds with. We begin to form strong emotional bonds with celebrities or politicians or with sports teams, maybe even the Tiger King. It's the reason that we get engrossed in romance novels. It's the reason that we form unhealthy relationships with food or drink. 
And one day we wake up and we see that our life's in shambles. And it's in shambles because we've been deprived of the thing that we most need. Relationships. Relationships with God and with each other. You might say, gosh, Marsh, that sounds like my life right now. I've more or less been by myself for two weeks and I'm starting to feel crazy. Well, I hear you. Since this whole thing's broken out, I've been doing a good bit of running and Usually when I run, I'd I'd, give a head nod, maybe a little wave to the person I pass on the sidewalks, but I've taken this thing a step further during social distancing. I begin to wave at cars. I'm just dying for connection with human beings during the quarantine. But relationships are hard for Westerners even without the quarantine. I remember seeing a meme a long time ago, and it had Jesus and the 12 disciples in the picture. And then on top of the picture were the words, No one ever talks about the miracle of having 12 friends when you're in your 30s. It made me laugh hard. It made me laugh hard because it's true. And that's what good comedy does. It makes you laugh at something that's painful. It's a painful reality that us as Westerners, when we're in our 30s and maybe even our whole lives, that we just lose the whole emphasis on the collective, on the corporate, on the community, because we're so focused on an individual's career, an individual's financial gain, an individual's talents, an individual's rights. So isolation is our MO, isn't it? But I think this is one of the things that God is trying to wake the Western church up to during this virus. He wants to show us that the whole all that matters is me and Jesus notion as incomplete, that it's faulty. He wants to show us that we're connected, that we're a family in the church. Our common bond within the church, it's not this shared DNA, but our common bond is the bond of the Spirit. And the bond of the Spirit is not something you can see, it's not something you can test for, but it's real. And it shows itself as more than just an idea, more than just a theory Each and every Sunday when we show up in the same room together and we offer ourselves to God in public worship. This is what our New Testament reading today, what it was getting at. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 uh, has the author urging his readers to do two things. The first thing we find in verse 23, where it says, Hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. The second thing he wants his readers to do is to consider, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And then in verse 25, the author says, the way that we hold fast to our hope, the way that we continue to love and perform good works, the way we do this is by meeting together for encouragement. So if you don't meet together, your confession of hope begins to wither away. If you don't meet together, your love and good works will lay dormant. You're feeling this now, aren't you? We've not met together since March 1st as a church. We've been trying to meet together, to hold this thing together on Facebook the best we can. This is where we're going to be for the next several weeks. But I hope you're beginning to be hungrier than ever for corporate worship. I'm beginning to see this hunger well up in me. I'm ready for the days where I can't hear myself sing again. I'm ready for the day where I can take communion. I'm ready for the day where I can pronounce blessings on the children. So here's what we have between this Proverbs 18 passage and the Hebrews 10 passage. Proverbs 18 says, isolation's bad. But we know that in order to love our neighbor, that's necessary during these days of the coronavirus. 
Then we see in Hebrews 10 that meeting together in corporate worship, it's essential. It's essential in order to keep our faith alive. So it sounds like a no-win situation for us, doesn't it? Not necessarily. See, think about Jesus. See, Jesus seemed to be hemmed in on every side by people. Sometimes he was with crowds and sometimes he was in a pretty intimate environment. He was with crowds when he was at weddings. He was with crowds when he was teaching large gatherings of people. He was with crowds when he fed the 5,000. But then there's these intimate moments, these intimate moments like when he approached the woman at the well or when he had a one-on-one conversation with Nicodemus. Regardless, whether it's an intimate setting or it's a crowd, everywhere Jesus went, there were people. And that's why he had to find these windows where he had to get alone for prayer. Let me just mention a few. One's Matthew 14, 13. It says, Jesus withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Mark 1, 35. Jesus rose and went out to a lonely place, and there he prayed. Luke 5, 16. Jesus withdrew to a desolate place to pray. Luke 6, 12, Jesus went out to a mountain to pray. Luke 9, 18, Jesus was praying alone. See, I could go on and on with more references of Jesus being by himself. But Jesus goes further than just praying by himself. He also instructs his followers to do the same. He does this in Sermon on the Mount. In Sermon on the Mount, he says that he wants his followers to isolate themselves in a closet and to pray to their Father who's in secret. So suffice it to say, there are times when we choose isolation to our own peril, like we read in Proverbs 18.1, and then there are times that we choose isolation to commune with God, like in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. And choosing isolation with God is so, so important. It's important for the life of the community. See, if we don't choose to be alone with God, we begin to only be a consumer of Christian community without ever being a contributor. See, consumers use the church to get friends. They use the church as a diversion. They use it as a distraction from their own issues. They use it as a way to not having to wrestle with God because of his or her own demons. And that's scary. But being alone with God, it's not an abyss of loneliness. The picture of being alone with God, it seems so empty. It seems so void. What does it actually look like? Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, he writes about how our times alone enrich our times in community. He says that being alone with God is about meditation and it's about prayer. He says that meditation is when we ponder a passage of Scripture knowing that God has promised that it has something utterly personal to say to us for this particular day in our lives. That doesn't mean that we should expect some extraordinary experience. Rather, we continue with great patience in our daily meditation that God is speaking to us. And then... Then as God speaks to us through his word, we speak back to him in prayer. And the order here is important because if we start with prayer and not God's word, we bring nothing to him but emptiness. But as God speaks to us first, we can begin to put our relationship, our life events through the grid of his word. 
And maybe these rhythms of scripture, meditation, and prayer would be new rhythms for you. Up to this point in your faith, the Bible just seems so intimidating. You can't imagine being by yourself. You can't imagine praying for longer than 60 seconds. I get it. But there's a good chance that you're going to have decades to practice this. If you need to start, start with the gospel. Start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Read a chunk. Write down some notes in a journal and see what happens. See, the coronavirus has forced us into isolation. It makes us bored, depressed, maybe even both. And maybe what God is doing is not just creating a hunger in you for community. Maybe he's forcing you to adopt the Christian practices of meditation and prayer. It might sound loathsome to you, maybe even impossible. But I want you to ponder the one who beckons you to communion. The one who beckons you to fellowship. It's Jesus. See, remember, Jesus is the one who wanted his friends to stand with him in solidarity. He wanted them to pray with him and for him at the Garden of Gethsemane. But his friends fell asleep on him. Then shortly after this episode in the garden, Jesus is arrested and all his friends flee. So what kind of religious hero is Jesus? He can't even get his closest friends to pray. He can't even get his closest friends to stick with him. But it gets worse for Jesus. He becomes even more isolated when his father leaves him on the cross. That's why he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father has left him. He's saying, why have you left me so isolated? But there's another angle to look at Jesus' isolation. Think about the mode of execution that Jesus endured. He's being hung on a crucifix. See, if you have an electric chair, a firing squad, even if you're being hung, the one who's being killed is accompanied by their executioner, but not so for Jesus on the cross. He dies utterly and completely alone as his own body kills him as he hangs. Why did all this happen? Why did Jesus choose to be so utterly alone? He did it so that you wouldn't have to be isolated. See, Jesus was cast out of the community of God, the Trinity, so that you could be brought in. Jesus was hung outside the city of God so that you could take up residence in the city of God. And the degree to which you see that Jesus was alone is the degree to which you can be present with God. See, doesn't that warm your heart? Don't you see the lengths to which Jesus went to be with you, to show forth his love for you? Don't you want now to go be with him? See, none of us, well, probably not many of us anyways, would have ever chosen the isolation we're living in because of the coronavirus. But I wonder if God is leveraging this so that we might long to be with one another in corporate worship once this has passed. I wonder if God is leveraging this so that we might commune with him in meditation and prayer. Brothers and sisters, let us seek the God who loves us as individuals so that our fellowship post-quarantine would be richer than we ever imagined. Amen.